Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to the... Oh, boy. Well, an episode of Encountering the Trinity. I'm not sure which one it is, and it really doesn't matter. So, um, I am your host, Steve Nichols, and joining me today, as always, is Father Phil. Father Phil, how are you doing this morning? Good, Steve. And, you know, our stumble there at the beginning, not knowing the number, maybe is a, will eventually be a good lead into our show because the uh, early fathers talked about the economy of God, you know, where it all works together, all things work together in the lives of those who love God. So even, you know, there's, it's not possible really to make a mistake in the economy of God. Somehow he blends it back into a product that he's brewing there that ends up being the perfect souffle to his father, you know? And so uh, in the Western church, we call it ecclesia suplet, the church supplies for the missteps that his poor stumbling children make. So I'm sure the Trinity will find a way of using our loss of information here for his own greater glory. Amen to that. Do you mind starting us out this morning with a prayer, Father Phil? Let's let's do, because nothing good ever begins or ends, does it, if there's not uh, uh, the communion of saints praying with us to surround it. So yeah, let's do that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, your triune mystery is beyond our comprehension, and yet it illumines the structures and orders of this world. Your great saint, Thomas Aquinas, told us that every form of excellence that we see in the natural world, from the smallest amoeba to the greatest galaxy, is a reflection of some excellence within your own Trinitarian life. Give us a small sliver share, O Lord, of that Trinitarian illumination today as we gather to ponder your word and the truths of your church And grant us the gifts, especially of wisdom and understanding, that we need, both our presenters and our listeners in this podcast, which we dedicate to you through the hands of the Immaculate Virgin Mother of your Son, Mary Most Holy. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, Father Phil, we've been discussing the process of discernment over the last several podcasts, and I apologize to our listeners. We've had some technical difficulties, and then just stuff come up in our lives, and obviously this is something that neither of us do uh, full-time, so uh, (laughs) um, stuff happens, life happens, but... um, Uh, One of the things I I, I know has been on my heart and mind, and and I think yours as well, is kind of rehashing again. um, Well, not not so much rehashing, but just refocusing on uh, really the mission of our apostolate, which is to bring a a greater understanding of the Trinity uh, to to all, not just Catholics, but to to anyone who would like to listen. And um, I think it also that refocusing there might also help us better um, explain the need for discernment and the beauty of discernment because understanding who God is as a mystery, three persons, one nature, um, and, and the beauty and glory of our, of our Lord, our father and our, the Holy spirit. It's, uh, it's so central to to everything in life, and and enlightens everything that we taste, touch, see, do, smell, 
it, it, it just changes life for us. And so I was wondering, um, what, uh, oh, how do I put this? Um, how can we do that? Father Phil? Well, Steve, I, you know, you and I, it must be the Holy Spirit because we really sensed the same thing, didn't we? Almost simultaneously that as helpful as going into the nuts and bolts of the discernment process may be to many of our listeners, and certainly has been for me and my own personal discernment and helping others in spiritual direction. It's not the calling, you know, that you and I have received. We, we've received a calling not simply, I think, as you put it, Steve, to help people understand the Trinity, because as the angel told St. Augustine on the seashore, you can no sooner understand the mystery of the Trinity than I can put the in this little a taste of the Trinity. We want to give, uh, we want to communicate uh, an experience, an encounter with the Trinity, and that's why we use that word that the Eastern Fathers and the Eastern Catholics use so often to describe uh, the mystery of, of the sacramental mysteries, the mystery of what happens to the human person in the cult or the culture of God, the Trinitarian glory, which is the liturgy, that we encounter Christ there. We meet him through the power of the Holy Spirit. So our religion is always an encounter with the tripersonal God. It's never an abstract, dry, or mechanical kind of thing. And um, too much analysis, you know. And so you and I both were touched uh, with a sense that we were uh, going astray from our mission. And that's so in concert with our own mission, because we are here to try to communicate to people that when I have opened myself to the Trinity, the Holy Spirit does, as John of the Cross says, give me and, and teaches me, gives me little touches, the slightest subtle touch of his Holy Spirit to gently bring me back to the purpose of my life, which was the essence of discernment, you'll remember, when we started off. And, and so what we really need to do here is, is backpedal a little bit on discernment to the very uh, root of it, which is discovering the personal vocation that God has for me, my personal identity in him. And when I backpedal that far enough, I always end up with the Trinity, because St. Paul tells us, you know, before the foundation of the world, you were chosen and predestined to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before your mother formed you in the womb, I knew you, I called you by name. So when we really try to do discernment, there's two ways of doing it. There are two methods to follow, always in spiritual reflection, doing theology or teaching or preaching. And I have relearned this same lesson, Steve, in my preaching lately, because when I get too analytical, it's I almost almost vocally hear the voice of Jesus. You're not telling them about me and my father well enough. You know, we, we can we can start from the bottom up. This is known in theology as the analogical method. We can start with the human person and talk about some of the excellences within the human realm or some of the problems within the human realm. And we can try to then, by analogy, ascend to the, to the life of God and try to imagine God based after notions and models and images and icons of human love and even in nature that we find around us. So, you know, God is as infinite as the ocean. God is as brilliant as the stars. Um, we can begin to see God in all things. And that's known as the method of analogy, going from the human condition to the divine life. 
But the method that we've been called to do, this is the method of the early church, and the method really of all the mystics in the Catholic Church, is from the top down. Start with an apprehension of the Trinity given to a person in contemplative prayer, and then allow that to shed light on the human situation. Um, and so, as the documents of Vatican II, Gaudium et Spes, number 22, says, Christ, coming forth from the Father, reveals man and woman to themselves. John Paul II grasped both of these methods so securely and used them both in his monumental work, uh, Theology of the Body, when he said that it's the Trinitarian communion of persons that is the template and the archetype and reveals the meaning and the structure and the purpose of the one flesh union of man and woman. That's known as the top-down or catalogical method, K-A-T-A, catalogical method from the Greek word indicating a descent from above. Um, but he also used the analogical method by saying, in turn, the one flesh union of man and woman in an indissolubly free, totally committed and fruitful relationship also images forth and furnishes a good human analogy of what the Trinitarian life is like. So in the best of Catholic theological and spiritual reflection, you have both methods being used simultaneously, almost like alternating current in an electric light bulb that lets the light of Christ shine the most brilliantly. But the method that is our default position with encountering the Trinity, <laughs> the method needs to be mine in my preaching and in my teaching, which Christ reminds me again time and again when I sound hollow to myself, is the method from the top down. So we have to allow ourselves to be taken into the Trinity. You know, St. Paul in Ephesians 2, 6 there says, you are already seated at the right hand of God through the ascension of Christ, essentially, that's what he says. And so, um, you know, we're basically returning to our roots here, but I think it has, Steve, a very simple and close connection if we if we simplify again what discernment is all about discernment is discovering our identity in Christ but in Christ means in the trinity because Christ exists first and foremost as a divine person who took on flesh in order both to reveal to us our identity in him and in the trinity from before the foundation of the world and then through the outpouring of his Holy Spirit to give us the power, grace, and inspiration to actualize that image of him, of us in him, that is in our own personality. And, and the grace of the Holy Spirit is given, the life of the Holy Spirit is given. I don't even like the word grace. I like the word life of the Holy Spirit, because grace is nothing other than a partaking in the Trinitarian life. That share in the Trinitarian life is then furnished to us by the Holy Spirit so that we can turn the image of God in us, the imago dei, the stamp, the archetypal image that we received before the foundation of the world in our very bodies, that we can turn that then into the likeness of Christ and become fully who we are, distinct yet uh, inseparable persons from him. So I'm rambling on again and throwing lots of ideas together, but that is all part of the catalogical method where the images of God and the Trinitarian um, uh, mysteries kind of kind of flow in and out of each other, uh, shedding light on the uh, on the mysteries and and the excellences within the human realm. So I'm I'm very grateful to the Holy Spirit, as I know you are, that both of us uh, came to this simultaneously. 
And I'm, uh, as you can tell from the passion in my voice, not that I don't have passion about Ignatius and pure discernment, the rules for discernment and all the rest of it. Let's get back to healing the main purpose of our life and remember even before that, that the purpose for our life as well as the source of healing for the purpose of our life is to be found not in us, but in the Trinity. It is quite an amazing and and really um, almost unbelievable mystery um, to to just think and dwell on the fact that that we're called to a partake to, to partake in the very divine life of God, you know, to to become partakers of the divine nature and to literally participate in that relationship. Um, for all eternity. I mean, that that's just, <laughs> you, you say that to some folks and, and I even say it to myself and I'm thinking, really? Is that, uh, right. yeah, that's a thing, huh? Okay, well, wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean, but you're right, Steve. It is, it is you know, it is the single most arresting rea- realization that any person could come to. You, you know, in our view, in my view, the, the entirety of the Christian life, whether it's prayer and spirituality, liturgy or sacraments, or the moral life of the Catholic Church, they all revolve around and stem from this mystery that we are created for one single purpose, to be partakers of the Trinitarian communion. And, and But you see, Steve, uh, and I hope our listeners are getting this, you know, as, as I think you were just alluding to, Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you were alluding to the fact that it's it's possible to say that, and it can sound and 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 it can sound very flat. It can sound very empty, but but it contains within it the totality of the Christian mystery. Truly, that's what the Father said: the purpose of the incarnation. God became man, so man can become God. That was the Rosetta Stone of all patristic theology and reflection. Everything comes back to that. It's the single uh, key that unlocks the mystery of Catholic spirituality, the idea of communion with the persons of the Trinity. And that's why you and I, I mean, we really literally can both talk about this and enjoy this forever. And um, But it will fall flat both with ourselves and with our listeners, like a bad souffle, <laughs> if the Holy Spirit is not constantly invoked, because it's only through a direct inspiration. I mean, I said to people, I'm amazed at what comes out of my mouth sometimes. I mean, you know, people ask me, you know, Steve, when I'm teaching, can you say that again? And I say, no, I can't. I, I, <laughs> I can't. I, first of all, I can hardly remember what I said, and the words just come. I try to lend my mind and heart and body and tongue to it. But, you know, ultimately our teaching and every teaching that's worth anything in the Catholic church has a kind of prophetic quality of it, uh, about it, which means that it's a proclamation rather than an explanation, you know, and it's meant to invite and provoke and evoke and elicit an openness to be gathered into that same perichoresis, that same circulatory love among the persons of the Trinity, the divine dance of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit calling us to come on in, the water is warm, to use a very trite and tepid analogy. Um, <laughs> sure. But, you know, I, I every time I preach, Steve, at least on Sundays, I read a prayer of St. Athanasius that um, was recorded by Adriana von Speyer in her book called The Book of All Saints. And I also read a prayer of, of the great exegete, patristic exegete, uh, Origen. 
And what they both say in there is, Lord, I, I am called to proclaim your Trinitarian glory to your people and invite them into communion with your Trinitarian life. But unless you give me the words, everything I will say will sound hollow and empty, both to me and to them, uh, because I believed in my own arrogance that I grasped your Trinitarian glory so well that I would be able to articulate it for your people. But it exceeds what I am able to both comprehend and articulate by infinity. So please give me the grace that my teaching may not indicate to your people that what I'm trying to say is so small or so petty or so unimportant, but allow it to glisten forth with the glory that you have shown me in my own prayer. And I pray that every time, and I, you know, only God himself knows what the fruits of that will be. But, you know, it lights up our life, but if I'm not really in touch with the Holy Spirit, all this talk about encountering the Trinity will sound like, you know, one more uh, announcement in the bulletin, you know, <laughs> and, and we know we know how few people read that, you know. Yeah, well, I think a beautiful analogy of what you're expressing with just the, the utter mystery of who God is um, as a, a communion of three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in, in one sense, it's kind of like you're Imagine you see a sign that says uh, Atlantic Ocean this way, um, and then there's a brief description of the Atlantic Ocean underneath it, um, tell, you know, saying, well, it's roughly this many trillion gallons of water, and uh, there's a lot of uh, different sea, sea life and creatures in it, and, um, well, we, we discovered it at this time, you know, whatever. Uh, just, you know, different points of, of facts, uh, truths about the ocean, um, it's kind of like what we're we're trying to do. We 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 can give a certain amount of of knowledge about yes. the ocean, but then yeah. actually going to the Atlantic Ocean and 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 swimming in it and and discovering it and tasting the water, smelling the air, the breeze, everything is 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 not. It's not that those facts about the ocean aren't true. It's that the experience of the ocean itself is so much greater than that that it can never be can you could never write all that down i mean it would it would literally take infinity even to write all the facts and all the beauty and and everything you could experience um in 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 the atlantic ocean because it's endless almost and and right. even and, and, much more right. with god and, and, so <laughs> well that's right and the more the more depths of the ocean that you experience the more the more questions and aspects of its mystery you would start to behold. So it would almost be like the closer you get to the horizon, the wider the horizon becomes, you know? Exactly. And so and I think... take all the oceans in the world and, and multiply those by infinity and you have the mystery of the Trinity, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I think the one thing that um, we we want to stress to our listeners is the fact that we're, we're, we're trying to do some sign pointing and... Um, and it's better our listeners are not like, uh, I know Peter Kreeft uses this analogy, and I'm not calling any of our listeners dogs, but all of us uh, so many times in our lives are like a dog because you know our, our good master puts down a bowl of food and he points to it, and instead of going to the food, we lick his hand. <laughs> <You know? laughs> That's right. And he's like, no, it's... I, I, over there, go 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 that way, and we're like, oh, look at your hand. Oh, look at that thing. That's yeah. okay. I'll smell yeah. that. I'll lick that, and 
<laughs> I love that analogy he uses because that's a lot beautiful. of times we're, we're, we're like a good dog, but <laughs> well, that's right. And you know, to come back to your analogy about the ocean and the description of the ocean there at the seashore, um, you know, the, the new evangelization and the new springtime of evangelization that everybody keeps hoping for, of course, has not yet happened because, uh, sadly, um, because of lots of reasons we don't need to, to, to go into today, um, the majority of Catholics uh, uh, are satisfied with the sign. Exactly. Yep. You know, they would rather take a photo of the of the of the uh, of the reality. They'd rather live in virtual reality than reality. <laughs> and you know, words on a printed page. We are not a people of the book, as the Catechism itself says. The book itself says we're not a people of the book. You know, the tradition is a living tradition, and the tradition is not a thing. The tradition is a who. The tradition is the communication of the Trinitarian communion across time through the incarnation and the extension of that incarnation in the sacramental mysteries of the liturgy. So, um, you know, but without that, in, without, without a personalist encounter of God, you might as well be talking about, um, you know, uh, equations of calculus on a, on a spreadsheet. Uh, that, that's about how much good it's going to do. It might give you a little intellectual stimulation, but it will not allow the leaves to stay on the trees when the when the breeze starts to blow. And God knows, in our culture of death, the, the winds are ratcheting up, and they're going to get to hurricane proportions in in not so long a time here, given the political chaos in the world. So uh, we have to turn our attention elsewhere and find the, the the roots of our faith, which you know the fathers of Vatican II were searching for in this return to the sources. And the sources are just that the Trinitarian communion and the doctrine of deification as articulated by Athanasius, Irenaeus, and all the rest of them. Yeah. And I, um, I, I know in, in my own experience that, that what you're saying is, is right. Uh, you hit the nail right on the head just because of the simple fact that the, the um, learning about the Catholic faith is so vitally important as, as learning about anything that, that one is called to is important, but it needs the the uh, the the life of the Holy Spirit to enlighten it. And uh, the what what I found is is it's almost like um I don't even really know how to put it other than the fact that the more I just simply allow the Holy Spirit to penetrate me and and to consume me, and instead of me trying to get out certain doctrines or teachings of uh, the Catholic faith to those I encounter. Instead of that, my, my focus now is just a, as much as I can, Holy Spirit, I want you to give your own life. Let me be a conduit for you to, you know, to, to beam out, if you will, you know, to shine out your life to these in people that I encounter and, as far as the details and the in the in the teachings and things like that, that's all stuff that that can uh, can can come, but it everything needs to be um, well, like you said at the beginning of our podcast, everything needs to start and end in prayer, and that means everything needs to start and end in in not just start and end, but all the way along, all the way through. It needs to, everything needs to be done in in Christ, and I know that's another yeah. thing we like to focus no, on. That, that, that's right, though. I mean, I, what you're saying is, you know, unless the Holy Spirit breathes life into, 
a teacher, a podcaster, uh, a worker. You know, you're asking, I mean, as I understood your prayer, and it's a beautiful model for our for our listeners about how to pray. And I have a couple of other analogies I want to offer here. But it really is a matter of inviting the Holy Spirit to inbreathe me. You know, that's the inspiration means to to be indwelt, but in inbreathe. The Holy I have to become a zither. I have to become a a tuning fork. I have to become a nostril of the Holy Spirit. You know, and I pray that the Holy Spirit will will possess me in the in in a way analogous to you know the evil spirit possesses others. And the big difference with uh, an evil spirit possessing a person or the Holy Spirit possessing a person is that when I'm possessed of the Holy Spirit and possessed by the Holy Spirit, which is exactly what you're praying for, and I invite all our listeners to pray that the Holy Spirit will literally take possession of them. He already does have claim to them because we've been sealed for him and by him in our baptism and confirmation. But that Pentecostal fire of the Holy Spirit has to be inbreathed in me by the Spirit himself. I have to cooperate. I have to open the, 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 the hatch on the top of my life in order to invite him to inbreathe and possess me. And the big difference is that when a demonic spirit possesses somebody, it eliminates what is uniquely who about them. It eliminates their personal vocation. It effaces and mars and scars and basically totally destroys the image of God in them, which is their own unique personality, where just the contrary happens when the Holy Spirit takes possession of somebody. It is that the analogy that the fathers used to show how when a person becomes a partaker of the divine nature through the process of deification, which only occurs liturgically and in contemplative prayer, uh, assuming, of course, a moral conversion at the same time. When that process of deification happens, the person becomes akin to the burning bush that Moses beheld and apprehended, that it was totally consumed by the Holy Spirit, the triune God, and manifested the glory, the light, the warmth, the heat of God, the mystery of God, the very life of God, and yet it was not destroyed or in any way obliterated. In fact, the natural beauty of it was greatly enhanced. And the fathers always saw that as a perfect image of what happened. First, they saw it as an image of the Blessed Virgin Mary, who was consumed by the Holy Spirit and made fruitful at the same time, not destroyed, not, not, uh, not, um, not obliterated, but, but made fruitful and made beautiful, beautified by the Holy Spirit. Deification is a process of beautification at the same time. But what people need to understand is that when we are taken into Christ through the Holy Spirit in this process of divinization, he does not absorb us or homogenize us with himself. He doesn't blend us together like two candles are blended together so that you can no longer... Uh, 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 to see the difference, though many of the fathers did use the candle blending image to convey a sense of the of the intimacy of deification. But it's more either like the one flesh union of man and woman, or more quintessentially and more maybe a little less concupiscently, at least on this side of deification, um, like the burning bush, where I am enveloped. 
I am embraced by the triune God and all the distinguishing characteristics about me, Steve, coming back to that Gautama Spes quote where Christ reveals me to myself. When I am taken into the fire of the triune God, the light of God brings out dimensions of my own personality that I myself had not seen heretofore. And so I want to enter in then to the fire of the triune uh, mystery, the theophany, the epiphany of the divine life. And where is that epiphany? Where, where is that epiphany? Where is that process of deification most available to us in this world? Well, in a number of places, number one, in our communion with the poor, at least at one level, but more essentially and, and more, more, uh, more mainline in a way is in the, in the experience of contemplative prayer, as you've said. And I want to use two images, one that is used by a, a theologian of the early church, uh, Andrew Louth, says this, that, that, the, uh, that contemplative prayer is the amniotic fluid of the, holy, of the triune God. In other words, when I enter into the silence and solitude of contemplative prayer, basically showing up before God, either in a quiet place by myself or most powerfully before the Blessed Sacrament. When I put myself in that position, it's as if I'm placing myself in the very womb of God. And the Holy Spirit is like the amniotic fluid of the fatherly, motherly, birth-giving life of God, where he is gestating us. You know, Christians are made. They are not born. They have to be developed. They have to be cultivated. And, and so my second analogy for this cultivation of the life of deification, which is nothing other than the making of a Christian. A Christian is an anointed one, a deified one. To say that Jesus is the Christ means to say that he is anointed of the Holy Spirit. He is anointed. He is possessed by the Holy Spirit. He is a living theophany of God's divine glory. And he's inviting us to enter into that same divine glory, which is the reason he became man. But when we enter into that, we enter into that as babes. We enter into that as green wood, like St. John of the Cross says. We enter into that as neophytes. We still have to be, we still have to be, um, we have to be, um, what do I want to say, molded, but like in the cauldron. We have to have all the impurities purified out of us. Deification is at once a, a kind of living purgatory, but it's also a turning of us into an incandescent uh, image of God's own love, but without not without not only destroying our unique characteristics as a a person, not only destroying our personal vocation, but actually manifesting it for the first time, kind of like a metal being tried in the fire. And all of a sudden, once the impurities are gone, you begin to see contours and images on the, on the object that you had not noticed before. They start to stand out. The colors become brighter. This is why people with near-death experiences tell us when they went to heaven, they saw colors and sounds and smells that 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 just just blasted any image, expanded and exploded any image of such beauty we might have here on earth. And that same beautification process takes place when we enter into this process of deification. Uh, the last image I wanted to use is 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 a little bit different, and that's that of a of a petri dish. 
I said, when we enter contemplative prayer, we enter the amniotic fluid of the Holy Spirit. When we enter the liturgy, we enter a cult. You know, the liturgy is the cult, C-U-L-T, of the church, which means the religious practice of the church. When people say Catholicism is a cult, they are absolutely right. It's the cult in the, of God in the sense that, remember, the same words that come from cult are the words we use for culture and cultivate and culminate. All those words have that same root. And when you put something in a Petri dish, you know, you develop, usually it has a negative connotation because you're developing a culture of bacteria. Well, when Christians enter the, the Petri dish of God's divine cultivation, they enter into the liturgy and they enter into there, and they enter in, in there to the culture of divine life. And it's in that culture of divine life, the Eucharistic mystery primarily, that God is showing how God is done. He's showing forth how God is done within the very life of God himself. And he's giving us a participation in that life of God. But at the same time, all the work is being done in that liturgy or in that divine Petri dish by the persons of the Trinity taking these little amoeba who are you and me, who have been placed in this culture of God's cultivation, and they are creating within us the very culture of their own divine life. And in the cult of the church, we are becoming acculturated to the life of the culture of God such that our lives will culminate in perfect union with him, and then we will be manifestations of his divine glory because he has grown us, as it were, in his own greenhouse. He has cultivated us for years in the, in the, in the, cult, in the culture of his own liturgical life, his own life of self-same worship. And when he has grown us, when he has made us, when he has developed us, when he has formed us, when he has blossomed us, when he has made us fruitful enough, he will establish us in the world as another portal and avenue into his culture of life. And it's only that in that way that a true culture of life will come about if we allow ourselves to be cultivated by God in the cult known as the divine liturgy. So I, I hope that's not way too overwhelming and you can edit it if it is, but, um, uh, those images continue to recur to me, and I, I, I hope they're helpful to you and some of our listeners. Oh, I, I don't think they were too much at all. I think it's, uh, it's uh, something beautiful that you said, Father Phil, because it lets us all know that the, the culture that we live in can only be transformed by us. I mean, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, obviously, you know, God working through us, but, but us surrendering our lives to him and, um, Remembering his words, behold, I make all things new, you know, and, and remembering the fact that all creation is waiting for the revealing of the sons and daughters of God. And um, that that ours is a story, a message of hope, of mercy, and of really of joy. The, the one thing that I think that living this life um, finding the you know your sealed orders, your purpose in life, um, as we've said before in other podcasts, is ultimately brings such un- unbelievable joy to you as a person, which you can then give. 
you 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 then be, can can become a dispenser of of God's mercy and love and joy into this world and and be a conduit and instead of looking at everything around us in the world that's falling apart we 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 don't focus on that because we know of course certain things are falling apart and this and that because God is at the same time things are being uh, kind of torn down as uh, C.S. Lewis says at the same time God is building up and he has already won the victory and he is the one that is in control he is the one that is um, writing this awesome awesome story of love and of mercy and redemption and the the greatest thing we can do is to simply say Lord how can I best be a part of that what is my part in that and let me be someone who is a person of hope because that's uh, that, that needs to be our focus because uh, Christ is victorious. He is King. And that's why you've said, and I've said, and I think we should end on this note that um, we don't do, a, we don't do apologetics on this show because we believe, as you've said so beautifully here, I think it's a great note to end on the best apologetics is a person of uh, the deified person who is a living flame of love and joy. And by attraction, the best apologetic is the apologetic of personal holiness and personal ecstatic joy, such that people will say, whatever he has, I want. And then we can say it's in the Trinity that you find it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, for our listeners, um, if you'd like a little more information on uh, Father Phil or myself or like to get in touch with us, you can contact us at EncounterTheTrinity at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Twitter at MostHolyTrinity. And uh, if you'd like, although our website, there's a little bit of a goof up right now with it that I will fix uh, shortly when I get the time. Um, you can find us on the web at EncounteringTheTrinity. Dot com. So difference between the email and the web address is the email is encounter, the web address is encountering. So just so you don't get that mixed up. But uh, Father Phil, do you mind closing us out with a prayer today? Let's do with the, the great doxology, the great proclamation of God's glory. Glory be mm-hmm. to the Father, to the Son, so, and to the Holy so, Spirit, as, as it was in the, the beginning. beginning is now, and and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Hallelujah.